You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Our preacher is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller with today's Word of Hope. In the name of Jesus, Amen. In the garden there is only good. Adam and Eve only know, they only know evil and they only know death by faith. By trusting God's promise or trusting God's threat. That if you eat of the, if you eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, you will surely die. Adam and Eve don't even have any idea what death is. So the Lord put them in the garden to live by faith. By faith in His Word. By, by trusting what He said. By believing Him. But the devil hates faith. And the devil hates life. And the devil hates Adam and Eve. And the devil hates God. And the devil hates you. So he comes tempting. He comes tempting Adam and Eve so that they will die. And he's good at this. He comes tempting... And because Adam and Eve were to live by faith, he comes tempting them exactly at this point where their life was. He tempts them to doubt God's word. The devil comes along and puts an if in front of God's promises. Inserts doubt in God's word. And they believe the devil and they are dead. Even before they eat the fruit, they're dead. We see it, and I've told you this before, I think this is one of the most horrendous, horrendous verses in the entirety of the Holy Scriptures. It's Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, which says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. If you want a picture of what death is, this is it. And here comes God to walk with Adam and Eve, to have fellowship with them, to speak to them words of joy and peace, to let them bask in the glory of His light. Here comes Jesus to take a stroll in the garden with with His brother and His sister, those that He loves, and instead of running to Him and and grabbing a hold of Him and, and putting their arms around their neck and greeting Him with joy, they run and they hide. The only way I know how to compare it is, to, is as a father. When, when I come home, this is the greatest joy of being a dad, or, or at least one of them, is when I come home, the kids come running. out. Of, they hear the garage door, you know. And they come running out to jump on me and welcome me home. Now, I, I just try to imagine how this would be if I went and I, and I went home and I, and I went in and it was totally silent and I was looking for the children and they're, and they're nowhere to be found. So now I'm looking for them. And there they're back in the closet. They're hiding behind the clothes and they're shaking. They're trembling because they're afraid of me. (laughs) Adam and Eve hid themselves in the trees. They're afraid of God because they're naked and they know it. 
Because they're dying and they know it. Because they're sinners and they know it. And they are afraid. This is, this is death. But God finds them. And incredibly, I mean, except for that we know the story, this is absolutely incredible. God doesn't demolish them. I mean, God had just finished and we... You know, we, we have this picture in the first two chapters of Genesis of God creating the world and, and he pours himself into this creation. He, 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 he is lovingly, he's lovingly building everything that there is, the earth and the stars and the moon. He, he stretches out the universe and, and, and then everything on the world he arranges so that Adam and Eve could have life. There, there's the land and there's the sea and he fills the sky with the birds and the, and the ocean with the fish and now there's plants and animals and God even takes the time to, to plant a garden for Adam and Eve so that they would have a place to have life and joy and delight. And then God says, okay, now you're in charge, take over. And it takes them like ten minutes to destroy everything. And now stars are exploding. And now fish are dying. Now animals are eating each other and thorns are growing up out of the ground. Adam and Eve didn't just, it's, it's not like when you were a kid and you, and you broke the window with a baseball. Adam and Eve broke the universe. <laughs> they broke everything that there is. They, 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 they brought death into, into this creation that the Lord had intended for life. And we would expect that when the Lord would show up, that He would simply destroy them. But He doesn't. He finds them and he gives them a promise that he would destroy the devil. This is Genesis 3.15. The very last verse of the text. It is perhaps the most important verse of the entire Old Testament. It's from this text that everything else in the Old Testament grows and springs. It's for, it is this promise upon which all of Israel was to base their hope. It's, it's on these words that we find all the marvel of the story of redemption that unfolds in all of the text afterwards. So we better understand these words. Genesis 3.15. It's called the Proto-Evangelion, which means the first gospel. And it says this. The Lord speaking to the devil says, I will put enmity between you, devil, and the woman, Eve. And between your seed, the devil's seed is sin and death, and her seed. That should be capitalized. That's Jesus he, the seed of the woman, will crush your head, will destroy the devil, even as you will crush his heel. God now, this is really quite stunning, God hands himself over in this promise to being crushed by the devil so that he himself could destroy the devil and rescue Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve believe it. In fact, so much did Eve believe this that when, when she has Cain, she says, I've had a man who is the Lord. She thinks that Cain is this promised seed, but the promised seed wouldn't come yet. In fact, the history of the Old Testament is a history of people waiting for this promised seed to be born. We wonder why, and it is a sad thing indeed to see that when, when husband and wife can't have children, it's a, it's a great mourning and a great difficulty. 
But we see this as ex- exasperated in the Old Testament that these that the, the the women, for example, Hannah, is crying out that she can't have children. And this is not only because she longs for a child, but because Israel longs for the Messiah. When, when John sees the picture of the Old Testament, this is Revelation chapter 12, when he sees a picture of the history of the Old Testament, he sees a woman who is pregnant in, in pains to give birth. It's this promise that, that the devil uses to inspire Pharaoh to destroy the Hebrew children as they're, uh, as they're born. And the midwives are rescuing them in the whole story of Moses. Because the devil is attacking the children to bring to, uh, to nothing this promise. So not only are the people of the, the people of the promise, the people of Israel waiting for this to be fulfilled, but so is the devil. The devil and his demons are on a lookout for this promised seed so that they can destroy him. So fast forward to the temptation of Jesus. This comes immediately after Jesus' baptism, which we had a few weeks ago in church. Matthew chapter 3 finishes with the baptism of Jesus. And the highlight of this event is when the, is when the heavens open up and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove and rests on Jesus and God the Father says of Jesus, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, you have to imagine, as soon as God the Father speaks those words, the alarm bells go off in the kingdom of the devil. As soon as those words are speaking, the devil and all of the demons immediately drop whatever they're doing, whatever trouble they're causing, wherever they are in the world, and they rush like a flock of mad birds to to descend upon Jesus to destroy this one. And the Holy Spirit leads Jesus out into the wilderness to let the devil have his chance. The Holy Spirit puts Jesus there in the wilderness with no food, with no water, with no protection, not in a garden, but in the, but in the wilderness, in the desert, and he, and he leads them there precisely so the devil can tempt him. And this is our text. The devil going in for the kill. The devil goes in for the kill precisely by tempting Jesus to sin. Now, this is maybe as a, a little aside, although not too much of an aside. This is a very important thing for us to realize because the devil knows something that we often forget, and that is our life is found in the righteousness of Jesus. The devil knows that if Jesus were to sin, you would die. <laughs> Because our life is not in our own righteousness, but in Christ's righteousness. Our life is not in our own good works, but in Jesus' good works. Our life is not in our own obedience, but in Jesus' obedience to the law. That's the obedience that He applies to our account. That's the obedience that He gives to us. If you can picture it like this, Jesus has a sack, and in this sack is all of His perfect keeping of the Ten Commandments, His perfect obedience to the law, and He's going to take out of that sack and give that to you, so that when you go to be judged, you are judged not guilty, because the righteousness of Christ has been applied to you. So that if the devil can tempt Jesus to sin, then everything is lost. It's like a man coming behind and, and slicing a hole in the bottom of that sack and all the righteousness would fall out. If the devil can tempt Jesus to sin, then the entire battle for our salvation is lost. So he comes to tempt Jesus. 
And he tempts him precisely at the point of God's word, just like he did in the garden, just like he did with Adam and Eve. The devil comes along and puts an if in front of God's promise. God the Father spoke from heaven when Jesus was baptized, and he says, you are my beloved son. And the devil sneaks an if in there and says, if you are God's son. Do you see it? The devil tempts Jesus to doubt the promise of God. And specifically, the devil tempts Jesus to doubt the promise that God gave to him in his baptism. And he does the same thing to you and to me. The devil tempts you to doubt God's word, to doubt his law, and to doubt his gospel. But very specifically and most significantly, he he tempts you to doubt the promise that God spoke to you, to you, when you were baptized. That you are God's child. That you are God's friend. That your sins are forgiven. That you belong to Him. That nothing can take you out of the grasp of His love. The devil attacks these promises. The devil puts an if in front of the certainty that God has. And we need to understand this. In one way or another, every temptation of the devil it comes down to tempting us to doubt God's word. When, we, when the devil is tempting us to sin, he's, he's tempting us to doubt God's law, to doubt the Ten Commandments, to doubt that God cares about them. And when the devil tempts us even more to despair, he is tempting us to doubt God's promise, to doubt his gospel, to doubt his promise, to doubt, to doubt his love, his forgiveness. And his kindness. Now we'll see it in three various ways in the temptation of Jesus. He tempts Jesus first with his belly. The text says that Jesus hadn't eaten in 40 days. And then in case we were wondering, it lets us know that he was hungry. <laughs> and then Jesus comes. Then the devil comes along to Jesus and he gives him the temptation. Your, your, uh, bread or the Bible? Are you going to care for for God's word or are you going to care for yourself? But Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil comes along and, and tempts Jesus to believe false doctrine. The devil twists Psalm 91 and has Jesus up on top of the temple and says, jump down, don't worry, God will protect you. But Jesus again brings the power of God's word or the, the comfort and certainty of God's word and says, and says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then the devil tempts him with power, with the honor of the world. He takes him on some high mountain somewhere and lays out before him all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil says to Jesus, all this I will give to you if you will bow down and worship me. Now, this must be a real temptation that the devil somehow has the authority to lay at the feet of Jesus all the kingdoms of the world if Jesus would do this. It must be somehow a possibility that the devil has this authority or else it would not have been a real temptation. And I think that this is going to become more and more of an obvious temptation with us in our day. That friendship with the world means enmity with God. That if we make ourselves friends with God, then we know that the world will hate us. 
And that the hatred of the world and the rage of the devil will grow and grow more severe as the time left on this earth grows short. But Jesus again resists this temptation to power with the Lord's word. You shall worship God and him alone you will serve. So Jesus stands. Where Adam and Eve fell, Jesus stands. Where you fall, Jesus stands. Where you die, Jesus lives. Where you sin, Jesus is righteous. And he does not just do this, dear saints, as an example to us, to show us how we ought to use the Lord's word in the midst of our own temptations. He does this for us. So that his righteousness and his perfection and his keeping the law can be given to you. In fact, it's his righteousness that is our defense against the devil. It's his word is the sword with which we yield. And it is his perfection which we have by faith that protects us from all of the fiery darts of the devil. Where the world fell, Jesus stands. And we rejoice. So we sing songs like this. Take they our life. Goods, fame, child, and wife. Let these all be gone. They yet have nothing won. The kingdom ours remains. Or scowl fierce as he will. He can harm us none. The victory has been won. We stand and sing, and we stand and preach, and we stand and believe against the devil. Because while the devil can destroy Adam, and while the devil can destroy Eve, the devil cannot destroy Jesus. And you, dear saints, belong to him. You belong to the righteous one. And his righteousness belongs to you. And in the midst of all of our temptation, in the midst of all of our trouble, in the midst of all of this world falling apart, this, this Jesus in the wilderness, this is our comfort. And this is our peace. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, Guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's Word of Hope. Hope Lutheran Church is located at 1345 Macon Street in Aurora, Colorado. Their weekly schedule is as follows. Sunday morning worship at 915, 
Adult Bible Class, and Youth Sunday School at 10.45 a.m. On Tuesday mornings, there is a matin service at 8.30 a.m. with a Bible class to follow at 9.30 a.m. You can find out more about Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org. That's www.hope-aurora.org. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in his grace.